Let's open our Bibles today to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. When you came to your seats this morning, you have there a card that has on the front of it Acts 1-8. I want you to hold that for just a moment. Would you do that? Just uh, grab one of those, put it in your hand, and don't be scared of it, all right? A lot of ways that you could respond to this information that's on this card. And um, three big ways that you could respond to the information that's on this card is to pray for what's talked about here in taking the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. The second way would be for you yourselves to participate in going to share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors and with the nations. And then the third way would be by giving to make it possible for those who are going and those who are willing to go to be able to have support financially for them to participate. And we take our Acts 1-8 offering. We receive that over three months, December, January, and February hope and prayer this year is that we would reach the $300,000 mark of giving for Acts 1-8. Half of that goes to support the 4,500 career missionaries that are spread across the globe internationally. They are there through the International Mission Board. And churches like ours give so they can stay and do the work of ministry. They come home from time to time for visits with family but when they're here they don't have to use their time and energy to raise their support we do that for them on their behalf as cooperating churches in the Southern Baptist Convention and all of uh, that portion of that this 50% of our Acts 1-8 goes for the salaries that keep missionaries on the field in the international world. Uh, 25% of this offering goes to those missionaries that are serving in North America. You hear often us talk about city, the city of Boston, and uh, that's just one of many cities across the U.S. and Canada where people are going and living and planning churches and involved in the support of the planning of new churches. Jonathan Mosley is a uh, preached here in December is a living example of that and uh, a fourth of this offering goes to support uh, those that are doing that in North America and then a fourth of this offering goes for those like many of you that will go in 2024 to be a part of some uh, short-term project. Robbie shared with me that we have 13 trips in 2024 for people to participate in those uh, get underway in a big way beginning with the first week of March during the spring break of university students and then the first week of April during the spring break of Oconee schools and then on through the summer and into the fall still opportunities for you to register and go but a fourth of this offering goes uh, toward support for those trips where are we right now? Our goal is 300,000. We've come through December. We've come through January. 
I'm excited to report to you that we've crossed the $200,000 mark in our giving so far. And that's exciting. We've got work to do. And I'm praying today that the Lord would show us what we have in our hands to give and that the Spirit of God would give us the freedom to release that back to God to take the gospel of Jesus to the nations. And so I exhort you, encourage you, if you have not given, to jump in and let this be a whole church offering. And if you have given, to pray again about what God might want you to do additionally. There are many different kinds of experiences that are a part of life when you serve as a pastor in a local church. I'm sure that there are times that you wonder uh, exactly what goes on in the life of a pastor. If you've never been one, uh, I'm, I'm sure it can be mysterious and and there are lots of jokes out there about what pastors do, and I try not to contribute to those. But um, uh, there, um, there's a, a lot of different experiences, I'll just put it that way. Um, some are difficult, and they're difficult because you walk through life with people as a shepherd. You, you, you share the burdens and the hurts and the pains and the difficulties that are a part of, of all of our, our lives, but many are delightful. There are so many experiences as a, as a pastor that I find myself saying from time to time, if I were not a pastor, I would not be able to enjoy uh, this event, this story, this information. And the ones that are most delightful for me as a pastor are just what I call God stories. Those God stories that someone texts you, that someone calls you to tell you about, that someone stops you in the hall to let you know the emails that you get that tell how God is working in people's lives. Uh, these are the great stories of how the good news of Jesus has worked and is working in people's lives and it usually goes something like this I'll open up an email like this past week a person shares with me that they've invited every woman in their neighborhood 98 homes they I've invited every one of them to join me this winter and spring in a Bible study and she begins to tell the stories of the number of women that are meeting with her now in her home to walk through the uh, I am statements of, of the Gospels. And you read a story like that and you just think, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. That is, it's, people need to know this is going on. And you get stories where people sit down in my office and they share with me as a dad or as a mom how Jesus has worked in their heart and life. Stories just recently I was able to be a part of where a husband and wife sat with me and and she laid a key ring down in front of me I don't know if any of you remember those white number ones that we passed out you remember those and she laid her key ring down in front of me and that old uh, tattered number one was laying there and she said you see those initials those are his and, and you, you, you get to be in the stories of how 
God is working in people's lives, and, and that's delightful. And, and over these next few weeks, what I'm hoping will happen is, is that you get in on some of those stories, that you get to hear how God has worked and is working in the lives of people that you're sitting around from week to week. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to take this journey and we're going to stop in different places. And uh, this, uh, we refer to this group of messages as the good news that makes for great stories. And I'll let you in on a little secret, all right? Y'all, y'all listening? Okay. Somebody say yes. All right, all right. You're out there, all right. That... Um, good news that makes for great stories I sent a note to uh, Whitney and communications here at the church and I said this is kind of what I'm thinking um, see what y'all can do with it and here's what they did with it they took my note that I wrote with my handwriting and put it in front of you all right so if you ever wonder uh, there it is that's my own hand not my pen but that is my handwriting. And I'm going to just stand before you today and work through the Gospel of Luke over the next few weeks. Um, there'll be some Sundays I'm not here, and others will, will take that and, and work with that. But uh, as we head toward Easter, which is the last Sunday of March this year, we're going to be considering the ways that when you encounter Jesus, lives change. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, you have an encounter with Jesus that led to a lifelong calling in, the, in uh, Simon Peter's life. It was a lifelong calling of teaching and proclaiming the news of Jesus. And Jesus gave to him eventually a very specific assignment that would lead to him being an apostle. Now, I'm not going to hide my hope or my prayers for today, all right? Not trying to sneak it in on you. I just want to say it straight out. And here's one of two things. Number one, God has a special assignment for some of you. I'm praying, been praying, hoping, been hoping that in this room today that there would be someone or more that would recognize that God has a special assignment for you that involves leading people to Christ and helping them grow in Christ's likeness. In Scripture, God picked the disciples out of a crowd of listeners. God picked Saul or Paul out of a crowd of persecutors. God picked Timothy out of a crowd of Jesus' followers, and he gave each of them an, an assignment. He gave them a clear call to devote their lives to the advancement of the kingdom. He gave them a clear call for them to have a part in fulfilling the great commission of making disciples. And in this room today, God could be calling some of you. Now, there will be reasons that you might give of why God would not call you. And some of those may be God-directed 
reasons that help you know that that's not the case in your life. But there can also be distracting excuses that can be presented of saying, well, never me, or it couldn't be me. And I want to just ask you to open your life to the Holy Spirit and listen to what he's saying in your heart and life today. And is God calling some of you? Now, here's the second hope and prayer today, and it'll seem kind of strange. I'm hoping and praying that this message that I share with you today would be the most dull, flat presentation of a talk you've heard in a long list of sermons. And you say, Pastor, there's already a good chance of that, right? <laughs> well, here's why. Because today's message is not a, it's not a hype message. This is not a hype message. This is not a fire you up and stir you up message to get your name on a list. Now, I am enthusiastic about what I do. I, I, I love being a pastor. There's not anything else in the world, big picture, long term, that I want to do. There are moments where I want to drive an 18-wheeler across the country. I've told you that before. One day, I'll get that done, maybe, and be over it. But um, it just, I know and I enjoy the, the, the work of, of being a shepherd and being a pastor. I'm enthusiastic about what I do. But that's not meant to create any uh, short-term feelings in you this morning toward a lifelong commitment. And what I've learned over the years that hype won't hold your hands to the plow hype won't hold your hands to the plow and when you're pastoring in central Oklahoma at New Harmony number seven and and you're thinking about how in the world I got here I don't want you thinking uh, some hype up message one day got me here or when you're serving in South America in a place where you have to travel for 30 miles to find any form of motorized transportation. I don't want you thinking, I got on this list because of a hyped up sermon in the comfortable setting of Watkinsville, Georgia. When you're serving on staff at a local church right here in Watkinsville, or you're serving with a parachurch ministry on the campus of UGA, it can't be a response that just happened because of some emotional feeling on in some Sunday morning service and what I'm hoping today is that just by presenting the word and giving room for the Holy Spirit of God to work that some of you today would respond to the call of ministry as a vocation for your life now let's look at Luke chapter 5 and you'll see this encounter that was uh, an encounter with the good news. It was an encounter with Jesus Christ. And it would begin the writing of a great story in the life of Simon Peter. Look at it in Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. It says, On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's 
Sea of Galilee, another name for it. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's or Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. A great demonstration of obedience to Jesus right there. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink but when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus' knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men other translations you will become fishers of men and when they had brought their boats to land they they left everything and followed him they left everything and followed him this morning I want to I want to give you an invitation I'm not saving this invitation for the last two minutes of the message but right here in the rest of the message here's an invitation first of all I want to invite you to answer the clear call of God to ministry, to vocational ministry. Now, I know that I'm, I'm talking to today to a, to, to a room full of people, but we're, we're making space in this room and in this time for God to speak to maybe one or two or three or five people that would answer the call of God to a lifetime of vocational ministry what do I mean by that well there are a lot of definitions that have been shared through the years of uh, a call to ministry uh, some have described it simply as being a sense of altness a sense of altness that when considering the work of the church in the great commission that there is laid upon the soul of a person a sense of oughtness, that there is something that God is calling me to do, telling me to do, leading me to do. There's something that happens in me where my only response is just to say, I ought to do this. I would describe it in my own life as being a time after I had followed Jesus as a, as a after I became a Christian, my junior year in college, I had grown up around Christianity, grown up around the local church, and knew the stuff, had a lot of stuff memorized, and knew a lot of the structure of the church, but really life-changing experience my junior year of college. And then over that next year, just trying to figure out, okay, that's settled. That's settled, but why is it when I get around the Word and I get in church services and I get around other pastors, why is there this sense that there's something else that God wants me to do? And, and the only way that I learned to process it was just through this, uh, this recognition in my heart that there was something else that I ought 
to do. There was a weight laid upon me that materialized into uh, sharing with others that I believe that God was calling me to, to preach or calling me to be a pastor. Uh, there are ways that people define a call of ministry to where we recognize that God has put certain parameters on our life and that I'm to operate within this sense of God's direction in my life. Uh, let me give you a, a little bit longer of a definition for a call to ministry. I, I, I would define this as taking a lot of different places from Scripture as this call to ministry, as God communicating to an individual His will. God communicating to an individual His will to what? God communicating to an individual His will to serve Him by serving others in a task. God communicating to an individual his will to serve him by serving others in a task focused on the spiritual needs, nurture, and development of another person or group of persons. And that's what, that's what I'm talking about. When I stand before you this morning, I believe that there was a time in my life where I, I sensed it from the Lord. I feel like it was confirmed by the Lord and His Word and others that He wanted me to give my life to serving Him in a task, specifically pastoring, that was focused on the spiritual needs and nurture and development of, of, of people. That, that's what I'm talking about. That's how I'm defining a, a call to ministry. Now, this call of ministry is uh, it comes together in both an inward call and an outward call there's something that happens on the inside of a person this this stirring this sense of oughtness this thing that just keeps occurring in our mind we just go there again and again we we think about it we find ourselves praying about it we find ourselves wondering about it we read about it when we're doing our devotionals we feel like it's just jumping off the page of guidance in that direction. When we read scripture, there's a burden that develops for people and the church and the gospel and, and the, the word of God. And, and this inward thing is going on. But you see over and over again in scripture and you hear it in the life experience of people that it's not just this inward call, there's also this outward call. And at the same time, uh, uh, traveling along on the rails of this inward discussion that's going on in our heart between us and the Spirit of God, there is from the outside outward events, experiences, conversations that happen that begin to uh, confirm what we're hearing on the inside. And it would be something along the lines of someone coming to you and saying, hey, uh, I want. I, I need you to do this. They, they give you opportunity to to do ministry, or someone is direct and just say, "Hey, I I want you to know that I see in your life God doing some things." Or it's you taking that inward discussion and making it known to someone else and saying, "Hey, I want to 
talk to you about what's stirring on the inside of me and get your feedback on it. And when you share that feedback with that person, you get a response back maybe in that moment or over time that begins to confirm your you're sensing the right thing or it begins to direct you away from some kind of inward conversation it's answering a clear call of ministry like Simon Peter did would redirect his life and when I see these verses where Jesus said to these fishermen today you'll become fishers of men or you'll become catchers of men I think he took the metaphor of their life experience and he applied it to the task that he had for them to do. So for me, growing up in the nursery business, growing up and raising plants and raising turf grass, if I had been living in this particular day, perhaps Jesus would not have climbed in Carlos's boat, but he would have climbed up on top of a greenhouse and taught a group of people, and he would have looked at me and said, today, I'm telling you, you're going to be growers of men. And, and, and maybe in your life, he would climb up on your desk table at school and say, I'm going to make you teachers of men. It, it was his way of saying, you've had this life, you've, you have been a part of this life, but there's something on a different dimension that I want you to do. And he speaks and he calls him out. And today, could, could the Spirit of God be calling you out is there within you a burden for the souls of people is there within you a love for the local church is there within you a willingness to serve whatever the cost is there a passion in your heart for Christ and for making him known is there a willingness to be obedient to his commission wherever he would lead Today you may be called, your salvation is settled. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you settled that once and for all? That you know that you're a sinner? That you know that Jesus is the only hope for you? That you know that Jesus died and paid the price for all your sins? And it's that good news that you want the world to know. There are different ways that God extends this call. He extends it sometimes in a sudden prompting. There's just this moment, like a Damascus Road kind of experience. Heard those stories along the way where an individual said, I was just headed in this direction, and it's like God just cut me off, and, and he said, I've got a job for you. I've got a task for you. Or maybe your story would be more like mine, that over time there was just this sustained prompting that you just couldn't get away from, and God just worked speaking guiding affirming confirming does god speak to you in scripture or devotionals to point you in that direction is there a restlessness in your life that whatever else you've put your hand to your mind to your thoughts to really in some ways seem in the way of what it is that god wants you to do is there a desire for it don't miss this I, I have stories, maybe you have these stories of individuals, and I, I don't doubt them, I just, I don't think it always has to be this way, where someone said, I just, 
I fought and fought and fought and fought against the call of God. And finally, one day, I gave in. Well, I, I think that in our life, if God's calling us, that there is going to be at some point in some time a real desire for it that we would delight in Christ and we would delight in others knowing him and we would delight and find great joy in others growing and becoming more and more mature in their walk with Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said there would be in one who is called an intense, all-absorbing desire, a craving to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ and to see them grow. Today, I want to invite you to answer the clear call of God to ministry. Number two, I want to invite you to address a critical cause for vocational ministry. To address a critical cause for vocational ministry. I, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles over to Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. We come to Luke chapter 10 and we see a critical cause for us to respond to the call of ministry, to give our life to this, to set it as a priority as we live. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful. And I stop right there at that comma. The invitation today is for us as a church, okay? Maybe, maybe you walked away from this message in your mind for a minute. Come back. There's something here for every one of us, and it is an invitation to address a critical cause. And the critical cause is this. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. Other passages of scripture speak of looking out onto the fields and seeing that the harvest is, that the, the, the fields were white unto harvest. That means that now's the time. Now people are ready. There are people ready to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Where statisticians tell us that a, just over 157,000 people every day die pass into eternity without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's simply intolerable that in that 157,000 people plus every day that die without Christ, that if some are ready to respond, that we wouldn't take it upon ourselves to respond, to do whatever we could to get the good news of Jesus to those souls. There is a critical cause. When people die... Without Jesus, based on God's word, they spend eternity in hell separated from Almighty God. And when people die with Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ with a loving, gracious, merciful God. And what stands between that is the good news of Jesus. And we can address this critical cause. Now, we're seeing that the harvest is ready in visible ways. 
this month. I'm so excited just in the life of our church, in our little, in our little world of how we operate and the trends that we see. Do you know right now that there are 12 people already scheduled to be baptized during the month of February? Last month, we baptized five. We baptized more in the past 12 months than we ever have in the history of the life of our church. And some of you are, are ready to take that step. And, and, and you, you, pastors that I talk to, churches that I talk to, they're seeing an unusual harvest of souls in these days. Think about just even in Nepal, Robbie had shared with me this week that for the last five years, I think we had seen six people in those five years in an unreached, unengaged people group come to know Christ. And this last January, when they made that trip, he and Dave, they saw 10 who had trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Five and six and five years, 10 in one week, hallelujah. I, I tell you, the, the harvest is, 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 is ready. Who will go? Who will go? So we address a critical cause of souls that are ready to be one and grow in Christ. And here's the third, an invitation. An invita here, I want to invite you to avert a compelling crisis. I want to invite you to avert a compelling crisis. And what is that? He says the harvest is plentiful, verse 2, chapter 10, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How do you and I as a church avert a compelling crisis of a harvest being ready but the laborers being few? It's a four-letter word. Pray. Pray. It's where we all step in. It's where we all get in and respond to the invitation of making. I'm, I want to ask you to make it a part of your daily prayers. To pray that God would call out laborers for the harvest. The instruction that is given to us that the harvest is ready and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. What is that telling us? That's telling us that the practical needs of salvation in the lives of people is a spiritual battle. That's what it's telling us. I mean, we can look across the globe and say there's a shortage of nurses. Uh, there's, a, there's a shortage of whatever, fill in the blank. A shortage of accountants. A shortage of, well, what are, just pick the career. Jesus says there is a shortage of laborers for the harvest, but there's a spiritual response. Pray. Pray for laborers. And I, I, I lift this from my notes this week, where I wrote, when someone responds to God's call to gather the harvest of souls, this is not just a career choice, this is a spiritual battle won. And I was in Colombia many years ago, and I was sitting on this rooftop where we were teaching uh, other pastors and teachers uh, just stuff from God's Word. A pipe bomb went off just about two buildings down from where we were. Scared me, not to death. I'm still here, but I felt close. And it just frightened me. And the 
local pastor sitting beside me when it happened barely flinched except to lean toward me and he said they don't want you here I said who doesn't want me here he said the enemy the enemy doesn't want you here and he wasn't speaking of a physical enemy he was speaking of a spiritual enemy and the enemy does not want us, the spiritual enemy does not want us to gather a harvest of souls. And that's why we're called on to, to pray for God to call out laborers. And I would invite you specifically to join with me. And I'm praying for 150 names, 150 names by 2030 that we would be able to say, here's a name, here's a person that is serving the Lord in vocational ministry in some setting around the globe that Watkinsville is a part of their story. Say 150, is that, well, it's 20 a year. And between now and 2030, and maybe one of those would be you. Well, I, I want to I share with you in closing a story from some of our own. I'm going to ask Caleb and his team to go ahead and make their way in this direction and we're going to close with a song today that I asked um, Craig and Jamie Kemp if they might share with us their story. And Craig didn't feel like his voice would hold and asked him to write it out. And I have some of his story. Craig and Jamie had served in China as missionaries working with the university there. That was their platform to be able to share the gospel with people. And listen to some of the story from one of our own here at Watkinsville. He said, our experience of responding to God's call as a laborer involves six components. First, God plants a desire and a burden for the people. He did this initially for us through the mission trips of our daughter, Melissa, to China. After her second trip, she brought a Chinese girl, Maria, to stay with us and attend our Christian school in Oakwood, Georgia. As our desire and burden for Maria to come to Christ grew, so our desire and burden for the people of China grew. Maria was typical of most Chinese, slow to trust, but very interested and open to the gospel. And she trusted Christ in the third quarter of her senior year at our Christian school. Secondly, God exposes a need. There are needs all around us, and God brings those to our attention and amplifies our burden concerning those he wants us to act upon. The need in China is very apparent. When the Communist Party banned religion, they unwittingly exasperated spiritual hunger by creating a spiritual vacuum. And the underground church claims millions of converts, even as a majority of Chinese have not even seen a Bible or heard of Christ. On my first day in China, a news team came to the university to report on the upgrades to the English training department that I would be leading. After the interview, as the photographers and reporters began to leave, the lead reporter saw that no one was near me, and she hurried to me and whispered, Do you know Jesus Christ? I said, Yes, I'm a Christian and do know him. She said, I've heard of him and that he is great, but I know little about him. I want and need to learn more. Third, God prepares us to fulfill his calling. And Maria's father was a professor at the university, and he's the one who contacted us to tell us that the university was looking for an American with my credentials. Number four, God provides the necessary resources. 
He uses resources to confirm the call or the timing of its implementation. And in our case, we were blessed to be able to be tent makers, quote, unquote, like Paul, who did not want to be a burden to the churches. Authorization. God provides some of the most specific information about his will from the authorities that he's placed over us. So when I was considering the call, I talked to my boss, my pastor, my father, and then I considered the students and their parents, and I talked to my wife and my children. And Jamie, Craig goes on to tell how in each of those conversations, God used their speaking into his life to confirm his call. And then God used scripture. God's always used scripture to confirm his direction. And he lists out verses, Matthew 28, Proverbs 3, Isaiah 6. And he said, when I would read these passages, China always came to my mind. As we sing this morning, I want to ask you, could it be you? And if it is, I'd love to talk to you. It's real simple. Carlos at Watkinsville.org. That's how you're going to respond. Send me a note. I'll buy you lunch. We'll have a conversation. We'll see what God's up to and take it from there. Let's stand together. Can't have you guys lead us. <laughs>